Well, we've been worshiping Christ through song, and now we get to transition to worshiping Him through the hearing and the preaching of His Word. And so take your Bibles and turn with me back to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to continue our trek through this final letter that Peter wrote. Now we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 15 this morning, 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's begin reading in verse 12. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly, earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Father, thank you for the ministry of reminding that you have entrusted to me as a pastor, as a preacher. And I pray that you would use this message today to stir all of us up by way of reminder. Lord, I know I'm speaking to um, many strong, mature believers who have heard pretty much it all before, but I pray if any of them have grown complacent or have allowed their hearts to grow cold towards the, the beautiful truth, the precious truth of your word, and the doctrines that we hold so dear, Lord, would you um, enliven them this morning? And Lord, for those that maybe are just learning, just starting uh, their journey in the Christian faith, uh, that this would be uh, an opportunity for them to be more established in their walk with you. And so, Lord, would you use our time together to help people come to Christ and to become like Christ? We pray this in his name, amen. Well, as most of you know, the NFL season is at the midway point, and in just a few months, one team will win the Super Bowl and have the honor of hoisting the Vince Lombardi Trophy. Vince Lombardi was the legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers back in the 1960s and is considered by many to be the greatest coach in American football history. He's probably best known for how he started training camp back in the summer of 1961, the year after the Packers season had ended in a heartbreaking loss to the Philadelphia Eagles after blowing a lead in the fourth quarter of the NFL championship game. And so when the players arrived on the first day of training camp, they expected to begin where they left off and learn some new fancy plays to win the championship that season. Well, Coach Lombardi had a different idea. And he got up in front of his players and he held up a football and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. This season is going to be the start of something new. With every fiber of my being, I'm going to make you the best football team that I can make you. And I'll try and try again. And if I don't succeed the first time, I'll try again. He was addressing 38 professional athletes who had been playing football for years, 
And yet he started from scratch, assuming that his players were blank slates who had no previous knowledge of the game of football. He had everyone open up their playbook and start on page one, where they began to review the fundamentals, how to block, how to tackle, how to throw, how to catch. And it, as the story goes, the players got impatient with him because they wanted to get out on the field, they wanted to get to the actual plays, and they wanted to scrimmage. They didn't even get to touch the ball for the first two weeks of training camp. But Lombardi chose to focus on physical conditioning and mastering the basic tasks everyone else took for granted. Lombardi's obsession with the fundamentals paid off, however, and that year they won the NFL championship, and he and the Packers went on to win five championships in seven years. Their amazing success was simply the result of a coach drilling into his players the essentials. Our success as Christians, I think, comes down to the same thing, focusing on the fundamentals of the Christian faith. Remembering and rehearsing the basic truths of Christianity is the key to living effective, productive lives as Christians. There's nothing magical about living the Christian life. There's no trick plays. There's no silver bullets. There's no quick fixes. Another legendary individual, at least in my mind, in the spirit world, uh, his name is Al Martin, a faithful uh, preacher who served faithfully for many years on the East Coast. I think he's now in his 80s or 90s. He wrote a book called A Life of Principle and Obedience. And in it, he said this, Pastor, I expected some kind of exotic formula for the Christian life, and you've taken me right back to prayer and Bible reading. I heard that when I was just a new baby Christian. Well, do you know why you're no further along the road than you are? Because you didn't listen to what you heard. The means which God has ordained for growing in grace are simple, not exotic. And if we bypass these simple means, always on the prowl for some magical formula, we are doomed to go limping all of our days. A pastor is like a, a spiritual coach. And our job is to drill into those God has entrusted to our care the essential doctrines and duties taught in God's word so that they can become the best Christians possible. Jesus had appointed Peter as the pastor or shepherd of the early church. And in this passage, we see how with every fiber of his being, he endeavored to make those under his spiritual care victorious in their Christian lives. And the main goal of this letter was to provide them a critical reminder of the truths they already knew in order to safeguard them from stumbling or, or straying from the Christian faith in the dangerous and deceptive times that lay ahead during the last days. And what gives this spiritual playbook a sense of greater urgency and intensity is that Peter knew he was about to die. And what, what Timothy, or what, excuse me, what, what 2 Timothy was to the Apostle Paul, 2 Peter was to the Apostle Peter. This was Peter's farewell address. And we have the sublime privilege of gathering around Peter's deathbed, as it were, and listening in on the final words that he ever spoke. And here in today's text, he revealed his heart for why he wrote this letter. 
His goal was to provide a lasting reminder of the basic truths that every Christian needs to know that would outlive him. He used the words remind or reminder five times in this letter, three in this text. Verse 12, therefore I always be ready to remind you of these things. Um, Verse 13, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. Verse 15, I will also be diligent that any time after my departure you'll be able to call these things to mind. And then over in chapter 3, verse 1, he says it two more times. This is now, my beloved, the second letter I'm writing to you in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. The point is, we all have a tendency to forget. One of the side effects of sin is we all struggle with a defective or selective memory. And that's why we need to do things like tie strings around our fingers or set alarms on our smartphones, right, to help us remember to do stuff. And I think that's why God also provided built-in reminders for his people to ensure that we never forget his saving work in our lives. Back in the Old Testament, he established the Sabbath day as a weekly reminder of how he had graciously and mightily delivered the people of Israel from bondage to Egypt, Deuteronomy chapter 5. He also instituted the Passover ceremony as an annual reminder of the same thing, Deuteronomy 16. In the New Testament, when Jesus was celebrating the Passover supper with his disciples in the upper room, he instituted the Lord's Supper and said, do this in remembrance of me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Apostle Paul uh, often included reminders in his letters that he wrote to churches and co-laborers. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. Philippians 3, 1, he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things again is no trouble to me. It is a safeguard for you. 2 Timothy 2, 8, he told Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Later in that same chapter, he exhorted Timothy to provide reminders to people uh, just like he had. 2 Timothy 2.14, remind them of these things. And then in 2 Thessalonians 2.5, he, he chided, Paul chided the, the, um, the, the believers in the church in Thessalonica. He said, do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And not long after Peter wrote 2 Peter, the apostle Jude wrote his epistle and said virtually the same thing. In fact, you're, you're there in the neighborhood of, of, of Second Peter and Jude. Just turn to the right uh, a few pages toward the book of Revelation and you'll come to Jude, uh, just one chapter. And it's really considered a, a companion letter to Second Peter. That's why it's often paired together in most commentaries uh, because they're, they're very similar. Uh, but notice what Jude said in verse five. Now I desire to reminds you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And then look at verse 17. But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So based on these 
numerous examples, God has called pastors and preachers to a ministry of reminding in order to safeguard God's people from being led astray from the truth of his word. The role of the preacher is not to come up with new ideas and novel topics to teach his congregation, but to simply remind them of the words and works of Jesus Christ. And I think that's what Paul had in mind when he said this to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, the challenge of, of preaching sermons week in and week out and year after year to the same group of people is coming up with fresh, creative, and even startling ways of saying the same thing. I'll never forget listening to John Piper in a lecture he gave about how to be an effective preacher. And this was years ago because this is going to date me now. I was actually on my NordaTrack. Remember the old NordaTrack machines? And I was in my garage using my NordaTrack and I was listening to John Piper and he said, man, the challenge with preaching is to come up with a new way of saying the same thing every Sunday. Um, and so he said, you've got to be creative and you've got to think deeply and, 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 and come up with uh, new um, creative even startling, shocking ways of saying things that will catch people's attention. And, and I think the greatest example of what he was talking about was what he came up with when he, when he came up with that, when he coined that phrase, Christian hedonism. And we were all like, what? Christian hedonism? Christian hedonism? You can't put those in the same you know, sentence. Uh, they seem to be opposites of one another. And, and, and this is where, he, that was his way of basically unpacking uh, the first question in the catechism, the Westminster Confession of Faith, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and what? Enjoy him forever. And so Piper's point in Desiring God, this book where he introduced this concept of Christian hedonism, was simply, listen, the hedonism, hedonism isn't the problem. The problem isn't that we're, we seek pleasure or enjoyment that the problem is we seek pleasure and enjoyment in the wrong things, in all the wrong things. We need to seek our pleasure and our enjoyment and our satisfaction in God and in God alone. And, and so he captured the attention of a generation with that whole concept of Christian hedonism. Every time we gather around God's word, we're essentially attending a refresher course. Did you know you were coming to a refresher course this morning? It's what you come to every Sunday. It's just a refresher course designed to remind you of and reaffirm to you the core principles and, and practices of Christianity. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great British doctor turned expositor, said this, quote, the business of the church and of preaching is not to present us with new and interesting ideas. It is rather to go on reminding us of certain fundamental and eternal truths. So if I ever sound like a broken record to you and you get the feeling that I'm saying the same things over and over again, it's because I am. 
Michael Fabares, who is the pastor of Compass Bible Church in California, written a very helpful book on preaching called Preaching That Changes Lives. And he, he tells a story of a preacher who assumed the, the pulpit duties at a new church and proceeded to preach the same sermon several weeks in a row. And eventually some of the members of the church got frustrated and asked him why he kept preaching the same exact sermon every Sunday. And he simply replied, when you start living that one, I'll move on to the next one. You see, the problem for many of us as Christians is not that we don't know, but we forget what we know or we fail to apply what we know. And Peter mentioned that tendency to forget in verse 9. Last week we looked at this in our text, 2 Peter chapter, two verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 9, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted having what? forgotten his purification from his former sins. That's why Peter was so intent on jogging the memories of his readers and rousing them through this letter to keep them from becoming spiritually lethargic and or being led astray by the heretical novelties of false teachers. Peter was well aware that all of us learn primarily through repetition, hearing and doing something over and over again. Teachers, you know that. Coaches, you know that, right? That's how we learn, primarily through repetition, hearing and doing something over and over again. And so here in verses 12 through 15, there are three reasons that we need to be regularly reminded of the fundamentals of the faith. Three reasons why we need to be regularly reminded of the fundamentals of the faith. Number one, being reminded strengthens our faith. Being reminded strengthens our faith. Look at verse 12. He says, therefore. In other words, in light of what I just said about the importance of growing and maturing in your faith and living an effective and productive life for Christ, Peter was saying, I'm determined to keep on reminding you of the basics of the Christian life. He says, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. These things, I think, refers to everything he just said in verses 3 through 11. How we've been saved by God's sovereign grace and been given everything we need in Christ to live a godly life. And therefore, we must make every effort to become like Christ. And as God transforms us into the image of Christ, that assures us that we're truly saved and that we'll never fall away from the faith. And it also ensures that we will one day receive a hero's welcome when we arrive in heaven. A little phrase in verse 10, he says, for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. I failed to mention this cross-reference last week, so I want to squeeze it in this morning. Jude, again, you're right there, turn to the right, find Jude again. Last two verses, Jude has a similar passion as, as Peter. He says, now to him who is able to keep you from what? Stumbling. And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. In other words, when we get to heaven, uh, we can't take credit for that and say, well, I made it. You, we're just going to say, God, thank you for getting me here. And, 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 and uh, keeping me from stumbling along the way. Notice he says back in 
Second Peter there, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Peter knew his readers were, were strong, mature believers who already knew these things, but just because we know biblical truths is no guarantee that we will remember them or apply them. And Peter knew this all too well from his own personal experience that no matter how close to the Lord you may feel or how committed to him you claim to be, there's always a possibility that you could still crash and burn spiritually. Turn back to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. Here we have the account of Peter's denial. And it's really the setup here. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31 Jesus said, you will all fall away because of me this night, speaking to his disciples, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered, but after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster grows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said to him, even if I have to die with you, I'll not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing too. Peter was definitely a leader. And he was stirring up the rest of the disciples to, to claim their undying commitment, right, to the Lord. But as you know, a few hours later, he crashed and burned. Look at Luke 22. Luke 22 provides us another insight into this occasion and the interaction between Jesus and Peter. This is Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, whenever Peter was called Simon, whenever Jesus called Peter Simon, that's not a good thing. That was his old man, his old self, his, old, his original name. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. In other words, Satan has asked if, 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 if he could put you through the ringer. Kind of like a Job scenario, right? But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Well, did Jesus' prayer get answered? Did Peter, Peter's faith fail like Judas's did, if he even had true faith? Judas went and hung himself. What did Peter do? He repented. And he got right with the Lord and was restored by him. And he remembered that exhortation from Jesus that he was to strengthen his brothers. And I think it's interesting that the word strengthen here in Luke 22 is the same word that's translated established here in verse 12 and have been established in the truth which is present with you. So Peter was being an answer to Christ's prayer on his behalf. He was obeying that command to strengthen his brothers. And Peter didn't want the same thing to happen to his readers or us that happened to him, and so he was seeking to further strengthen and establish them in what they believed to make sure they remained steadfast. Because Peter knew that false teachers prey on unstable, unestablished believers. He's going to tell us that in chapter 2. 
Notice verse 14, having eyes full of adultery, talking about false teachers that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. And then look at chapter 3, verse 16. He's talking about Paul's writings um, in which are some things that are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. That's why Peter and, and, and Paul work so hard in dependence on God to ground believers in their faith. And they knew at the end of the day, it all came down to God grounding them, not them grounding them. In fact, 1 Peter 5, verse 10, just look across the page there. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And Paul said similar things in his letters. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. Talking about God, that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 Verse 16 and 17, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and, and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. And then just a couple verses later in chapter three, verse three, but the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. So the first reason why we need to be reminded is, is it strengthens our faith. It strengthens our faith. Secondly, being reminded stimulates our faith. Be, being reminded stimulates our faith. Notice verse 13 and 14. He says, I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. That little expression, to stir up, stir you up, means to awaken or to arouse from sleep. And so Peter wanted to help his readers stay alert and fight off spiritual drowsiness. Even though, we're, even though we may be established in the truth, we can become so accustomed to the truth that we become complacent about the truth. We can even become indifferent to the truth. And that's why Peter felt compelled to refresh the memories of his readers with the precious truths of the gospel in order to stimulate their minds and their hearts to keep them from growing cold or apathetic toward them. One of my fondest memories of my recent trip to India was getting to preach to a congregation um, who was celebrating their 60th anniversary and my friend Joshua had been faithfully preaching the word of God to them for at least 25 of those years, about the same time I've been here at Lakeside. And so... Um, I wasn't saying anything these people had already heard. Uh, I was privileged to be doing the ministry of reminding that weekend. But I'll never forget a, a, a young college girl came up and uh, in her broken English, this is about what I made out, what, what she was trying to tell me, but she had her, her, her Bible clutched to her chest and, and she said, when you were preaching, something inside of me came alive. And she wasn't saying that she, was, that she got saved because it was clear that she was a, a faithful believer, but it was something about what she had heard, maybe in a new, fresh way, she was stirred up by way of reminder 
And it really had a reviving effect uh, on her relationship with Christ. And it was so encouraging to see the Lord use his word uh, to stir up this, this young girl's faith. Notice Peter knew his death was imminent, which motivated him all the more to strengthen and simulate God's people and make the most of his time that he had left on this earth. He says, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, Peter knew his days were numbered and he was not long for this world. The Roman emperor Nero was becoming increasingly incensed by Christians and was arresting them and persecuting them and uh, having them executed. And so Peter was one of the leaders of the Christian movement and so it wasn't long before uh, his head probably would be lopped off, which was no uh, surprise to to. To Peter, because 40 years prior to the writing of this letter, Jesus had revealed to Peter that he would die a martyr's death. Look back at John 21, John 21, verses 18 to 19. This is that famous scene on the shore of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus was restoring Peter and asking him if he loved him and telling him to tend his sheep. He did that three times, and then he wrapped this little conversation up in verse 18 he said truly truly i say to you when you were younger you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished but when you grow up you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go now this he says signifying but what by what kind of death he would glorify god and that stretching out of your hands i think was representative of crucifixion And according to tradition, Peter was crucified upside down per his request because he did not consider himself worthy to die in the same way that Christ died. But notice, even though Peter was facing a violent death, he saw death not as a a tragic ending, but a glorious escape Look at how he described death here. He talks about um, leaving his earthly dwelling or laying aside his earthly dwelling, which was the the term that was used for for a tent. And so he described death as, as packing up his tent and heading for the comforts of his heavenly home. How many of you guys have been tent camping? It's fun for a while. But then you want to go home. You want to pack that sucker back up, that tent back up, and uh, get back home where you have a, a roof over your head and, you know, a clean sh- a shower to get cleaned up in, and, right? Um, well, this is the, the, the imagery that the writers of Scripture use to describe um, dying, death. Uh, Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, he's talking about our bodies here, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. And as much as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. So again, a tent serves as a temporary dwelling place for travelers. And likewise, our bodies are temporary 
dwelling places or structures in which we dwell on our pilgrimage to heaven, which, by the way, fits very nicely with the theme of 1 Peter. You remember we called 1 Peter a pocket guide uh, for pilgrims. And 1 Peter 1, verse 1, he addresses uh, his readers as aliens. Uh, in verse 17 of chapter 1, he talks about conducting ourselves in fear during this time of our stay on earth. And then second, uh, second chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from heavenly lusts which wage war against your soul. So all that to say, those of us who are Christians, we're just camping out here on earth. This is not our home. And one day when Jesus returns or calls us home like we just sang about, we will leave this earthly tent behind and we will be given a glorious new tent fashioned after the likeness of Jesus Christ. And we will be truly home. I also find it interesting that this idea of a, of a temporary dwelling place is used in connection with Jesus, the second member of the, of the Trinity, who took on a human body and, and, and tabernacled among us. That's how John words it in John chapter 1, verse 14, where he's describing the deity of Christ. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us and we saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So, Peter uses this tent imagery, but he also referred to death as a departure. Look at verse 15. Look at verse 15 there. It says, and, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, that word departure in the Greek is literally translated exodus. Ex meaning out, hodus meaning road or way. So, so death is the, the road out or the way out. Uh, of course, in the Old Testament, we know Exodus represented the way out of bondage from Egypt. In the New Testament, Luke used this same word in his account of the transfiguration to describe how Moses and Elijah were talking with Jesus about his departure, his exodus. And so death for the Christian is not the end of our existence. It's simply the way out of this sinful world into the glorious presence of Jesus Christ. And knowing that our lives on earth are temporary and this is not our home should compel us to live urgently like Peter did. And so see, we have much to learn as we circle Peter on his deathbed and listen in to what he has to say. He's teaching us we're learning not only how to die but also how to live. So being reminded um, strengthens our faith. Being reminded stimulates our faith. And then finally, being reminded sustains our faith. Being reminded sustains our faith. Notice verse 15. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. This is one of four times in this letter that Peter used the word diligent three of which are focused on his readers. We already saw two of these last week, verse 5 in chapter 1. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and your moral excellence knowledge and on and on it goes. Verse 10, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. 
And then chapter 3, verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, the coming of Christ, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. But now here in chapter 1, verse 15, he's talking about him being diligent. And he's basically saying this, while you are being diligent to grow in your faith, I'm being diligent to strengthen and simulate your faith. So you be diligent, I'll be diligent, we'll be diligent together. Peter, like Paul, was, was more of a player coach rather than just a coach, right? You ever see those coaches, the, the, the overweight coaches, right, that are on the sideline, maybe sipping their sweet tea and eating a moon pie or a zinger or something, and they're, while they're telling their players to run laps or, or run sprints, right? You, you got to love those coaches that, that are out there on the field running the sprints with their players and pushing them. Even if they can't keep up with their players, they're out there and it inspires their, their, their players. Look at coach, he's out there, he's doing this with us. And so Peter was working hard to ensure that after he was dead and gone that they would be able to recall all that they had learned from him. And ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to remember all that we've been taught about Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus said in John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. As we know that the Holy Spirit is our helper, and one of the primary ways he helps us is by reminding us of the truths of God's word. And the primary way the Holy Spirit reminds us of who Christ is and what he has done for us is through the scriptures that he inspired the prophets and the apostles to write, which we're gonna see next week, Lord willing, in verses 20, 21 here. Um, spoiler alert. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. One of the classic texts in the whole Bible on the inspiration of Scripture. So Peter was saying, hey, I'm working hard so that after I'm dead and gone, you'll be able to remember these things. You're going to be able to have a way of recalling them. To mind. And Peter may have been referring to this letter that he was laboring to write along with his first letter, which would serve as a permanent reminder of the truth. In other words, Peter's dead. He's been dead for 2,000 years, and guess what? He's still speaking. He's speaking to us this morning through this letter. Some suggest that Peter wasn't just referring to First and Second Peter, but more specifically to the Gospel of Mark. You're like, what does the Gospel of Mark have to do with this? Well, again, look over across the page to the last, second to the last verse in First Peter, First Peter five thirteen. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. He was probably referring either to the church there. Uh, in Babylon, or perhaps his wife in Babylon was Rome, was, was a pseudonym for Rome, um, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Now, there's no indication in church tradition that Peter had a biological son named Mark. 
Most Bible scholars agree that Peter was referring to his spiritual son here, who he may have met when he showed up to the prayer meeting at Mark's house after the angel released Peter from prison in Acts chapter 12. Mark may be better known by you as John Mark. He was the cousin of Barnabas, who deserted uh, he and Paul on their first missionary journey, which made Paul not want to take him along on their second trip. But by the end of Paul's life and ministry, Mark had redeemed himself and Paul found him to be useful. And I love just the restorative nature of these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for service. So something had changed there between the, in, in the relationship between Paul and Mark. Uh, Paul also placed Mark in Rome at the same time that Peter wrote this letter. Um, Colossians chapter chapter 4, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings and also Barnabas' cousin Mark. So we don't know if Peter led Mark to Christ, but he definitely discipled him and helped him grow up in his faith. And... Mark was to Peter what Timothy was to Paul, his, his spiritual son in the faith, his young disciple. And according to church tradition, Mark's gospel is based on Peter's eyewitness accounts of the life of Christ, which he shared with Mark, who wrote them all down. And I think that's why the gospel of Mark, interestingly enough, contains facts about Peter that aren't mentioned by any other of the gospel writers. How would Mark know this? Well, because Peter told him. And so the gospel of Mark is essentially the gospel of Peter. Don't think about that too hard, okay? But you think about it, the disciples, Matthew, Peter, Luke, and John. Makes sense, right? And Mark was really, if you will, Peter's amanuensis. Um, But I think the, the reason Peter helped Mark write his gospel was he wanted us to have the truth about Jesus preserved and writing for all time and he didn't need to have his name on it. By that time, he was this, this arrogant guy, right? Started off really arrogant, prideful, cocky. He knew that Christ needed to increase and he needed to decrease and so he didn't have to put his name on it. It's like, hey, Mark, let's call it your gospel. Peter didn't care if his readers remembered him after he died. But what he did care about was that they remembered the truths that he taught them about Christ. And that's exactly what I want. I could care less if you remember me. I want you to remember Jesus Christ. Because the more you remember Christ and all that he has done for you, then the more you will seek to love him and obey him and honor him and serve him and proclaim him to others. And so I guess I could say with Vince Lombardi that with every fiber of my being, I'm going to make you the best Christians I can possibly make you. And I'll try and I'll try again. And if I don't succeed the first time, I'll try again. By the grace of God, we will be the best Christians humanly possible. Amen?
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to be stirred up by way of reminder. And um, I just pray for everyone who's here, wherever they're at, however they came in today, whether they needed to come to Christ or become like Christ, whether they came in on fire for you or they came in with a heart that had grown cold towards you, Lord, would you stir them up, fan the flames of their heart of love for Christ so that they would want to love him more and obey him more and serve him more and proclaim him more this week as we go out in this world that is not our home, but we have the amazing privilege of being ambassadors for Christ this week. Help us to to be faithful to do that, we pray in his name. Amen. All right, well, before we uh, are dismissed today, uh, we have uh, the privilege of welcoming uh, some new members into the life of our church. And the Lord continues to be gracious to, to, to grow our church and to add to our number. And uh, we have 33 people that recently went through uh, our Life at Lakeside class. And, uh, and so we're going to uh, invite them up. I'm going to invite them up uh, by name. And uh, we're going to have a chance to uh, covenant together with them and, uh, and uh, have them be, be an official uh, part of our church. So as I call your names, please come. And uh, stand up here in the front. Fred Asaidu, Scott and Kara Brooks, Carl and Dory Bunch, Jeannie Bird, Tyler and Jessica Connor. Tyler's uh, at work, and that's why it's just Jessica today. Frank and Jeannie Cusimano, Patrick and Kim Foss, Jacob Godin, Nathan Goins. Reggie and Sandy Griffin, Walker and Victoria Jester, Wade and Melissa Jordan, Randy and Laura McDowell, and uh, Randy is away on the East Coast working as well, so Laura's here today, Uh, Jim and Joy Meisner, Levi Mix, Audrey Reed, Sean Rock, Ken Shoppy, Ross and Samantha Stapp, are Neil and Angela Williams and Clyde Williams. It's good to have you guys here this morning. Thanks so much for coming. Well, we have had a, 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 a joyous time getting to know these folks. Uh, one of the, those of you that are members, you know that one of the, the hoops you gotta jump through, right, is to have that elder, that dreaded elder interview, right, where we just sit down and we get to know one another and uh, we really just want to know that you know that you're saved. That's really the only requirement to be a member of Lakeside Bible Church is that you've been born again, that you're a Christian. And so it's been a joy to hear the, the, the stories of salvation, these people's salvation stories, how, how God saved them. And as one of our elders said this morning, it's not an exact science, right? And uh, it, it, we, we wish we had the Lamb's Book of Life in someone's library around here where you can just open it up and go, oh, there's his name. There's Levi right there. I saw it. His, his name's in there, right? But we just do the best we can, right, to hear their stories. And, um, and so all of these folks uh, are professing believers and uh, they believe that God is leading them to uh, join up with us uh, to serve the Lord together. So I want to give them an opportunity to publicly express their commitment to uh, the Lord and to Lakeside Bible Church. And so why don't you guys turn and face me And uh, I'll ask you some questions that you can respond by saying, we will. 
As a member of Lakeside Bible Church, will you protect the unity of this church by acting in love toward other members, by refusing to gossip, and by following the leaders? Will you share the responsibility of this church by praying for its spiritual growth, by sharing the gospel with unbelievers, and by warmly welcoming those who visit? Will you serve the ministry of this church by discovering your spiritual gifts, by being equipped to serve by the pastors and elders, and by developing a servant's heart? And finally, will you support the testimony of this church by attending faithfully, by giving regularly, and by living a godly life? Amen. Well, let me pray for you towards that end. Father, we thank you uh, for uh, this precious group of folks. Uh, these are your sheep, not my sheep, not our sheep. Uh, Lord, this is, these are members of your flock, and uh, you're simply entrusting them to our care. And so I pray that as pastors and elders, we would... Uh, shepherd their souls as those who will have to give an account someday and that we would be a blessing to them uh, and they would be a blessing to our entire church family. I pray you'd help us all to uh, make them feel welcome and to do our best to include them into the life of this church even as, a, even as our bodies care for uh, the other parts of the body. Lord, that we would uh, care about these folks and uh, we would go out of our way to, to get to know them and to uh, uh, grow together with them. And so we just ask your blessing upon them as they join today, and uh, may you use uh, this church to uh, take their spiritual life to a whole new level uh, and make them more like Jesus than they've ever been. We pray this in his name, amen.